0: I'll give everyone a second to get there, including myself. For those that don't have a Bible, uh, page 526 in the blue, blue, blue book's right under your chair, you can find some. So John 15, one through 11 says, <clears throat> I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because the word have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. So have I loved you, now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. This is the word of God. <clears throat> Thanks, Chris. Hey, Chris,
1: Bible man. <laughs> Did that last service too? There you go. <laughs> Hey, thank you guys for uh, for being here today. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you. Uh for, for making time to be here. Also want to especially welcome uh, those of you who are in our overflow space. So you guys see the, the uh, camera in the back. Uh, that's not because we're trying to uh, get a TV show on uh, TBN or something like that. Uh, it's simply because uh, we're trying to open up a little bit more space. And so we've, we've opened up a little bit more space uh, in this gathering. And so there are some folks in an overflow space uh, on the third floor. If that's something that you are interested in, uh, by the way, we'll always have that space uh, available. So some people that just works better for them. And so uh, that's up on the third floor if that's something that you want to take uh, advantage of. But as I said, uh, my name is Josh. I'm glad that you guys are here. Those of you guys who are in the room, those of you guys who are watching uh, on, the, on the stream, um, I'm, I'm a little bit self-conscious because they say that uh, the camera adds about 10 pounds. And so a little bit self-conscious but also recognizing that probably doesn't make much of a difference for me. So regardless, glad that you guys are here. Um, If you were here last week, you know that we started a new series on spiritual formation. You say, what's spiritual formation? Well, here's what we mean by spiritual formation. Uh, We're talking about practicing the way of Jesus together for the life of the world practicing the way of jesus together for the life of the world so here's what we believe as christians we believe that god is transforming us that god is forming us to make us like jesus that he is teaching us to practice the way of jesus that he is teaching us to live and to walk in the way of jesus And we believe that that's not just good for us in isolation. We also believe that that is something that's good for the world around us. So as the people of Jesus, we practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. And we said last week there are three main components, three main headings of what that means to practice the way of Jesus. We talked about being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. Being with Jesus... Becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. And so what we're going to do is over the next three weeks, we're going to kind of look at each of those ideas. We're going to kind of take a bird's eye view of each of those concepts. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean to become like Jesus? What does it mean to do what Jesus did? And what we're going to find is that those three ideas are very interrelated. As we spend time with Jesus, we become more like Jesus, and then he sends us out into his world to do what he did. And so today we're going to focus on that first idea. We're going to focus on that idea of being with Jesus. Because at its core, that is what the Christian faith is all about. And so we're asking, what does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to find life in Jesus and to have our lives shaped by Jesus? In order to do that, we're going to go to this famous passage in the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 15. See, what John tells us when he writes the Gospel of John is he tells us how to find true life. He's telling us how to find real life. He's telling us how to find the life that is really life. John tells us this is why he wrote this book. John chapter 20, verse 30. This is what he says. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says, I am telling you this story about Jesus so that you can find true life in Him. That's the point. At the core of who we are, that is what we really want. We all want a life worth living. We don't just want to be physically alive. We don't just want bare existence. We want to be fully alive. And Jesus says, that's what I've come for. That's what I have come to give you. I have come to make you fully alive if you think about it this is what drives you this is what drives me in every area of our lives we look for this in all kinds of places we look for it in our families we look for it in romance or sex We look for it in career success. We look for it in money. We look for it in religion. You walk into any bookstore and our bookstores are absolutely filled with all of these books telling you how you can change your life, how you can become fully alive. You pull up your social media feed and you find all kinds of of, of illustrations or of examples of ways that people are seeking true life, how the latest diet or the latest product or the latest book or the latest relationship advice is going to make you fully alive. And we think in our minds, if I can just get that thing, then I'll be fully alive. If I can just afford that product, If I can just get that promotion, if I can just take that vacation, if I can just sleep with that person, if I can just lose that weight, if I can just get this thing, then I will be fully alive. Jesus says, I have come to give you the thing that you know that you want at the core of your being. I have come to make you fully alive. Because all those other things, and they're not necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but all of those other things can never make you fully alive. Even the best things will fail to make you fully alive. Jesus says, John 10.10, The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Jesus says, I'm going to give you life to the full. I am going to make you truly human and fully alive. See, this is the fundamental human question. This is the thing we're all after. This is not just a religious question. This is a human question. How can I be truly and fully alive? Jesus says, let me show you how to have that. Let me give that to you. Let me show you how to experience deep, life-giving change at the soul level. Something that, that gives you life at the core of who you are. Let me make you fully alive when it comes down to it that's what we're talking about in this whole series we talk about spiritual formation that's the question we're asking how does jesus make us fully alive how does jesus make us into the fully human people that he created us to be that's what we're after in this series that's what we're after as a church not just how can i be more successful not how can I be more religious. Not how can I be more moral. Not how can I improve my life a little bit. How can I be fully alive? That's what Jesus tells us in this passage. So in this passage today, John 15, 1-11, he tells us three things about true life. He tells us the source of true life. He tells us the practices of true life. And he tells us the goal of true life. The source of true life, the practices of true life, and the goal of true life first the source of true life look at John 15 1. Jesus says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He starts out here, he says, I, I'm the true vine. Now, for us, that, that sounds kind of strange today. The vine, what, what in the world does that mean? But that would have made perfect sense to Jesus' disciples. Because remember who Jesus is. Jesus was a Jewish man. His disciples were Jews. They were part of the people of Israel. And as we read earlier, Isaiah 27, the vine is kind of a metaphor that the Hebrew Scriptures use for the people of Israel. God says, I want you to be a fruitful people. But He also says in Isaiah chapter 5, He draws this metaphor out and He says, My people Israel, you're like a vine. And I have loved you, and I have cared for you, and I have fed you, and I have watered you but you haven't borne fruit. You haven't lived the lives that honor me. These were, the, these were the people of God. These were God's chosen people. They were the people who worshiped in his temple. And he says, you haven't borne fruit. You haven't lived the life that I want you to live. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the one who can make you fruitful. I am the one who can give you the life that God created you for. If you want to bear fruit, he says, you need to abide in me. You need to remain in me. You need to stay connected to me. It's not a matter of what ethnic group you're a part of. It's not a matter of your religious rituals. If you want to bear fruit, then I need to become the source of your life. And as the branch can't bear fruit on its own, you can't sustain your life on your own. You need to learn to depend on me as the very source of your life. And if you do, he says, you will bear fruit. Now, the question is what does that mean? What what does it mean to bear fruit? And and there are a lot of things that go into this, but, but at the core, think about it. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you'll grow. He's saying you will flourish. He's saying you will do the things that you've been created to do. You will live the life you've been created to live. You will become the person that God has created you to be. As human beings, we've been created to bear fruit. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, when God creates human beings, this is what he says. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and then he explains really throughout the rest of the bible what that means be fruitful bear fruit the problem with all of us is that we've turned our backs on god the problem with all of us is that we have decided to live life on our own terms that we have tried to do life without god and as a result we haven't borne fruit we haven't lived the life that god created us to live we haven't become the kind of people that god created us to be Jesus says if you want to become that kind of person that God created you to be, if you want to experience human life as God intended it to be experienced, then you can't simply try to do it on your own. You've got to depend on me. I've got to become the source of your life. See, true life, when it comes down to it, is all about Jesus. It is all about knowing him. John 17, 3, Jesus is praying to his Father, and this is what he says. He says, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, knowing Jesus, abiding in Jesus, being with Jesus, that is what it's all about. And as we do that, as we know him more, as we are with him more, he makes us more like himself, and then he sends us out into his world to do what he did. He transforms us and then he sends us out into our city and our world as a transformed and transforming presence. That's what spiritual formation is. Here's what we're talking about in spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the process by which Jesus gives you the fully human life you've been created for. It's the process by which Jesus gives you the fully human life that you have been created for. See, Christianity is not just about theological knowledge. And it's not just about religious practices. And it's not just about moral and ethical obedience. It's not just about thinking the right things. It's not just about doing the right things. The religious leaders, the religious people in Jesus' day, they were doing that. They were thinking the right things. They were doing the right things. They they memorized the Bible. They gave away their money to the poor. They prayed and they fasted. They did all of these good religious things. Jesus says there's no life there. There's no life there because they're not connected to the vine, because they're not connected to the source of life, because they're not connected to me. And this is vitally important for us to get. Anybody sitting in church on Sunday, this is important for you to get, but especially as we begin to go into the spiritual formation series. Because we're going to be talking a lot about spiritual practices over the next few months. We're going to be talking about praying and fasting and scripture reading and sabbath and giving to the poor and all of these really important things and they are all very important but here's the thing if you just do those things without any vital relationship any life-giving relationship with jesus then you'll become just like the religious leaders in jesus's day you'll look like you're doing well on the outside you'll even think that you're doing well but there won't be any life in you if you've been around here uh, at christmas time you know that at christmas time ev- every december uh, our parking lot the outer parking lot kind of turns into a christmas tree farm and so uh, Gore's christmas trees comes in they they set up their christmas trees they they sell them out there and it looks beautiful like you walk here it's like walking through a bing crosby uh, movie to get here uh, some of you guys have no idea who bing crosby is so you can google that and find that out but 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 think about think about those trees that'll be out in our parking lot in december those trees grew out on, on Gore's Christmas tree farm and then they cut them down and they loaded them on a truck and they drove them here and they set them up in our parking lot. And, and then you go and you buy that tree and you, you tie it to the top of your Civic and uh, somehow you get it back to your house and you get it into your living room and, and you prop it up in your living room. And then what do you do? You, you get out all the decorations. You decorate it but the lights and the the garland and the the ornaments and the star and the angel and the popcorn and however you decorate your tree. And you step back and you put on your ugly sweater and you pour yourself a drink of eggnog and you just look at it and it looks beautiful. It looks so perfect. Now let me ask you, what's that tree going to look like in four weeks? It's going to be a house fire waiting to happen. There are going to be needles scattered all over your living room. It is going to be an absolute mess and the only thing it's going to be good for at that point is building a fire. But why is that? Why is that? It's because you've cut the roots. It's because you've cut it off from the life source. And here's the thing. It is all too easy, especially for religious and spiritual type people to take that same approach in our spiritual lives. We do all the right things we pray and we read and we fast and we give and we show up at church on sunday but we're not connected to the root not connected to the vine no real life-giving relationship with jesus and when it comes down to it we're just decorating a dead tree and it might look good for a while but over time it'll crash and burn Listen, at its core, Christianity is about knowing Jesus. It is about being with Jesus and being transformed by Jesus. It is about being so united to Jesus that his life begins to pulse through you. 17th century English pastor Henry Scogel said Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. The life of God in the soul of man. I mean, think about what's happening here in this passage. Think about Jesus and his disciples. This is the night before Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to rise from the dead. and, And he's not going to be physically present with his disciples anymore. And so he says to them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. And I'm going to be with you because my Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. I think for most of us, especially if you've been around church for a while, You don't realize, we don't realize how amazing that is. This is utterly unique among all of the religions of the world. No other religion even makes a claim to this. You look at the other world religions, and and you look at their founders, and you look at the things that their founders said. None of them claimed, I'm going to have an ongoing relationship with my followers. Muslims do not claim to have a personal relationship with Muhammad. Buddhists do not claim to have a personal relationship with Buddha. Jews do not claim to have a personal relationship with with Moses or Abraham. Christians come along and we claim we have a personal relationship with Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, think about how shocking that is, just for a second. Like, I woke up this morning and talked to a first century Jewish carpenter. And we believe that He is here with us, here and now, and we claim that He sent His Spirit to live inside of us so that we could know Him, so that we could be with Him, so that we could be changed by Him. Jesus says, knowing me is at the core of what it means to follow me. This is what makes it unique. This is what it is all about, knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. So the question then becomes, how in the world does that happen? Because I look around this room, and I don't see Jesus with his robe and his beard and all of those things sitting anywhere in this room. So if he's not physically present right here, then how can I be with him? How can I know him? How can I experience his presence? That's where we need to move to the second point. So first point, Jesus is the source of true life. But Jesus gives us practices. He tells us about practices that help us to experience that life in him. The practices of true life Uh, he gives us in these practices he's telling us ways to connect with him and that might seem strange to you but just think about it this is true of any relationship take any relationship take any friendship there are certain things that you do together with that person think about a friend think about a spouse and just think about your relationship like what are the things that you do to connect maybe you like working out together Maybe you like cooking together. Maybe you like watching movies together. Maybe you like hiking together. That's what we're talking about when we talk about these spiritual practices. These are the things that Jesus says, these are the things that I want to do to connect with you. The goal when we talk about any of these things is not simply to increase your willpower. It is not to make yourself a good, moral, religious person. It is not to prove how good you are. The reason we do any of these things that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the day and in this series is because this is how we encounter Jesus. Because we want to know him. Because we want to be with him. Because Jesus has said, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you in my word. I'll meet you in prayer. I'll meet you as you walk in obedience to me. We meet him and we're changed by him. So in this passage, we're going to see three places that that Jesus promises to meet us. These aren't the only places, but these are, I think, at the core of what it means to encounter Jesus. He promises to meet us in his word. He promises to meet us in prayer. And he promises to meet us as we walk in obedience. Verse 7, Jesus meets us as we receive his word. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm not physically going to be present with you guys anymore. And the way that you will remain with me, the way that you will abide with me, the way that we will stay connected is by letting my words abide in you. This is how the branches take root in the vine. The words of Jesus begin to take root in our hearts and our lives. This is how we encounter him on a daily basis. If you read the Bible and you read all these stories about when God shows up and when God, when God brings someone into a relationship with himself, the one common denominator in all of those is that anytime God shows up to bring people into a relationship with himself, he does it by speaking. And so if you want to experience the presence of Jesus in your life, you have got to have his word abiding in you. But please notice this. Jesus does not say, if you read my word. Jesus does not say, if you know my word. He does not say, if you can explain my word, and if you study my word, and if you listen to sermons about my word, and if you parse the Greek verbs in my word, or you do all these other things, he says, if my words abide in you. See, studying and reading and understanding, those are all important things but there are a lot of people who know a lot about God's word who have no relationship with Jesus. Probably the most, most famous scholar, uh, New Testament scholar of the 20th century was a guy named Rudolf Boltmann. Boltmann had the New Testament memorized in Greek. So he knew the New Testament. He knew the Bible. But if you ask Boltmann, who is Jesus? He would have said, Jesus was a great teacher who pointed us to God. He wasn't connected to the vine. He didn't know Jesus. On the other hand, there we are. On the other hand, you go go to the South Sudan, and, and you talk to a child in a village there who can't read, and you ask her, who's Jesus? And she says, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. See, she's connected to the vine. She has his words abiding in her. Jesus says, my words must abide in you. They must remain in you. My words must take root in your soul and bear fruit in your life. Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us a story about this. He tells a story about this this farmer who goes out to sow seed and he takes a bag of seed with him and and as he's out there walking, he throws the seed and the wind carries it and it falls on all these different kinds of soil. Some of it falls on the the road and the birds come and and they eat it up. And some of it falls on what's called rocky soil. It's, it's shallow soil. It's a, it's a layer of, of, of topsoil on top of bedrock. And, and, and the seed goes down and it immediately springs up, but it doesn't have any roots, so it dies out. And, and then some of the soil is, is soil that has weeds and thorns growing in it. And the seed falls on there and it grows up, but then the thorns and the weeds choke it out. And then Jesus says there's the good soil. And and there's some seed that falls on the good soil, and it goes into the ground, and it begins to grow up. And he says, and it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. And then Jesus explains the story, and he says, the the seed is my word, And, and the soil is your heart. The soil is your life. And then he says this. He says, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you listen to my words. Be careful how you receive and respond to my words. Let my words take root deep in your heart and in your soul and in your life and let them change you. This is why we need the Scriptures. This is why we come to the Scriptures. We don't study the Bible because we want to know more stuff. We don't read the Bible because we want to get a little chicken soup for the religious soul. We read the Bible, we study the Bible because we want to know Jesus. We want to encounter Him. We want to be with Him. We want His words to take deep root in our lives and make us the kind of people who are fully alive in Him. So how does that happen? How does it happen? How do do his words take root in our lives? Well, I love that Jesus Jesus kind of answers his own question. He keeps going here. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, Jesus meets us as we receive his word and Jesus meets us as we respond in prayer. And those two, receiving his word and responding in prayer, are two sides of a conversation. That's how your relationship with God should be. Your relationship with God should be like a conversation. Jesus speaks to us in His Word. We receive His Word. We listen to His Word. We we let His words take root in our lives. And then we respond to Him in prayer. We talk back to Him. We ask Him for help. We say, God, I, I see this in Your Word. Would You make this a reality in my life? This is practically one of the most important things that I've done just just in my relationship with Jesus. Like, do you ever find it difficult to pray? I am a terrible prayer. Like, my mind wanders. I fall asleep. I forget what I'm supposed to be doing after a few minutes. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm not exactly sure how to start a conversation with the God of the universe. And so so here's what I do. I let him start the conversation. I, I open the Bible, and I listen to him. I come and I, and I read and, and I think about what he is saying to me and I, I meditate on it and I ponder it. And then I respond to him. I respond, I just simply respond to what he has already said in his word. I take, take a passage like this. I did this, last, this this past week as I was chewing on this passage. I take a passage like this and I read it and then I just respond honestly to him. Jesus, I, I know that you say that we are connected like a vine and branches and, and if I'm being honest with you right now, I don't feel that. I don't feel deeply connected to you. And and I know that it's true, but I don't feel it. Would you help me to experience this? Jesus, I don't just want a dead religion. I want a living relationship. So Jesus, help me to abide in you. Help me to trust in you. Help me to have this living relationship with you. I've been trying to do things on my own. I've been trying to bear fruit on my own. Would you plant your word deep in my heart? And would you change me? Would you make me to bear fruit? See, I, I just respond to what he is saying in his word. And then I prayed for you. God, would you take your word and would you plant your word deep in the heart and the lives of the people of Soma Church and make us a people who live the fully human lives that you've created us to live. I mean, Do, do you see how, how, how that works? I'm simply listening to his word and I'm simply responding to what he says. It's this conversation. And I don't ever want the conversation to be one-sided. It's never just me talking to God. It's never just God talking to me. But I hear him and I receive his word and then I respond to him in prayer. And then it goes even further than that. Because God's word, always when we receive it, has an effect in our lives. It bears fruit. It changes us. It produces obedience. That's the third place Jesus promises to meet us. He promises to be with us as we follow him in obedience. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now that is an absolutely mind-blowing statement. Jesus says, I love you as the Father has loved me. The Father has loved me with an infinite, eternal, unstoppable love. And I love you that same way. And he says, here's how you'll experience that. Here's how you'll abide in my love. Here's how you will begin to experience the depths of my love for you in the heart of who you are. It is by walking in obedience, by keeping my commandments. See, Jesus promises to be with those who follow him. And it is only as we follow him. So you can know about the love of God as a theoretical concept, but you will only truly experience it and you will only truly grow in that experience of his love as you follow him in obedience. But as we do that, as we follow him, we experience his love in deeper and richer ways than we ever could have imagined few weeks ago, I I took a day uh, just of silence and and solitude and prayer, Um, just went out to Fort Ben and and decided to to, to hike around uh, some of the trails to think and to pray. And so I I find this trail, um, I start hiking, and kind of at the beginning of the trail, there's one of those mile markers, and it says mile zero. It's at that moment that I realize that I know nothing about this trail. I've never seen it on a map. No one's ever told me anything about it. I don't know how long it is. I don't know what the terrain is like. Is it steep? Is it level? I don't know if there are bears out there. I don't know, like, what am I gonna see along? I don't know anything about it. And here's what you need to know. I am an avid endorsement. Uh, so, so, so I'm just kind of out on a limb here. But I, but I decide to go anyway. I decide, I decide to hike it anyway. anyway. And, and eventually I find my way back. Um, But it it kind of reminded me a little bit of what it's like to follow Jesus. So when Jesus called his first disciples, he didn't tell them everywhere that he was going to take them. He didn't tell them everything about what it was going to be like to follow him. When I started following Jesus, Jesus didn't tell me everything that was going to happen in my life. He didn't tell me everywhere that he was going to lead me. He didn't tell me how long the road would be or how difficult the road would be. He didn't tell me about the people that I would meet along the road. He didn't tell me about the amazing, soul-stirring beauty of the things that he would show me. He certainly didn't tell me about all the things that he would take me through to make me a person who bears fruit, to, to, to write in some way his beauty on my soul. He just said, follow me. And he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Follow me, and I am with you. Honestly, that's enough. That's enough. Because even when obedience is hard, and even when it's costly, and even when it feels like it hurts, it is worth it. It is worth it because Jesus is with me. Because being with him, because knowing him, because getting him is better than anything else that I could possibly give up. Friends, some of you here today, you're wrestling with this very thing. You're wrestling with, am I going to follow Jesus Am I going to follow Jesus for the first time? Am I going to follow Jesus in this thing that I'm walking through right now? And some of you right now are afraid of what that's going to mean for you. What's it going to mean for my marriage? What's it going to mean for my bank account? What's it going to mean for my career? What's it going to mean for my sexuality? And I can't tell you everything about what Jesus is going to bring you through. I don't know everything he has in store for you. But I can tell you that following him is worth it. Because he is better than anything else you could possibly give up. This is why we follow him. This is why we obey him. We don't obey to try to make Jesus love us. We obey because he loves us. And as we follow him, as we walk with him in obedience, we experience more and more and more of his love. This is why we engage in these practices that we're going to talk about with spiritual formation. Because they are the places that Jesus reminds us of his love. Because they are the ways that we experience his love. Because they are the ways that he takes the roots of his love and plants them deep in our souls. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you hope to experience this someday. But, but, but either way, do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love? I mean, you just wanted to be with that person. You spent insane, ridiculous amounts of time together. When, when my wife Tracy and I first met, uh, I was living in southern Indiana. She was living in Birmingham, Alabama. We were, we were long distance for about a year and a half before I could move there. And so we talked on the phone all the time. Like We stayed up until four in the morning, most mornings, talking on the phone. I would drive six hours to Birmingham and six hours back just for a 24-hour period of time because I just needed to see her. I didn't sleep for like the first two months I knew her. But, but it was worth it, right? It was worth it. Because even though I wouldn't admit it at the time, I was falling in love with her. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what these practices and obedience and all these different things, that's what it's all about. We we don't do these things because we're just trying to prove ourselves. We do these things because we want to be with Jesus, because we've fallen in love with him, and even more than that, because he has fallen in love with us. the truth is, in every relationship, the newness wears off. The excitement's not there anymore. The, The fireworks aren't there, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I wouldn't have physically survived if I had kept that same schedule but you keep doing the practices, don't you? You keep making time to be together. Even if it's not as amazing, even if it's not as sensational, even if you don't experience the same fireworks, you make time because you want your love to endure. Maybe now it just looks like folding laundry while you watch Netflix, hypothetically speaking. But, but, (laughs) I don't know who does that, but, but what you do is you make time to be together because you want your love to remain. Listen, that love is the motivation. Our love for Jesus, but even more than that, his love for us. And look what this produces in us. Why do we want to become the kind of people who bear fruit? Look at the goal of true life. Why do we do these things? Jesus says we do it for the glory of God, which sounds strange. Let me unpack that. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, you might not know it, and this might sound strange to you, but this is what you were created for. You were created to glorify God. You were created to reflect God. You were created to be a living flesh and blood picture of what God is like. That's what it means to be created in the image of God, to be a reflection of God. This is the fully human life. Think about that vision of the human life. You are not simply an animal. You are not simply a random collocation of atoms. You are not simply an accident of biology. You are a human being created to know and love and reflect God. You are created to be a living flesh and blood picture of what God is like. And He gives us this kind of life, not only for His glory, but for our joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Why do we let his words abide in us? Why do we respond to him in prayer? Why do we follow him in obedience? It's because we want to be with Jesus. And why do we want to be with Jesus? Because that's where the joy is. Psalm 16, 11. In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I want that joy. I want Jesus because I want the joy of his presence. That doesn't mean it's always easy sometimes life is hard the joy that jesus had is the joy actually that led him to endure the cross hebrews chapter 12 just look at verse 2 looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god He says the joy that i give you is the joy that endures It's the joy that lasts. It's the joy that perseveres through the hardest times. The joy that Jesus gives can't be stopped by pain. It can't be stopped by the cross. It can't be stopped by death itself. If you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Jesus, God is absolutely committed to giving you that kind of joy. Look back at John 15, verse 2. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Listen, I know nothing about farming or gardening or pruning. uh, But according to Wikipedia, uh, the the point of pruning is to remove some unhealthy portion of the branch so that it will grow back stronger and healthier. And if you look at someone doing that, to the untrained eye, if I just look at someone cutting all these these branches off, it looks like an absolute waste. I look at them, and it's like they're tearing this plant apart. But the gardener knows what the plant needs to thrive. He knows that if he cuts back this branch, it'll draw nutrients from the vine, and it'll come back healthier and more fruitful than it was before. Jesus says that's what the Father is doing with us. And sometimes it's painful. And sometimes it feels like a waste. And some of you are there right now. Some of you right now, you are walking through this really difficult time. And it feels like the knife of God is cutting you. And you don't know why he's doing it. But the gardener knows what you need. He knows what will make you fully alive. And listen, friends, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. That trial that you are walking through right now is not a waste. That heartache, that disappointment, that pain, that difficult marriage, that soul-crushing divorce, the loneliness you feel in your singleness, the heartache over the broken relationship with your kids or your parents, the cancer the loss of the loved one, the ongoing trauma from the hell you've experienced in your past, the difficult things that you're going to experience in your future, none of it is wasted. Your loving Father wants to use it to make you more fully alive than you have ever been before. And sometimes you walk through these kind of times and you can't see any good reason that God is doing it. You don't know why he would cut you the way that he does, but he is with you. And he is calling you to be with him, and he has not left you, and he is using this to draw you to himself, to give you life. And so the question is, will you let him? Will you trust and will you depend on him in these times and every time of life? It's interesting, if you look at verse two, uh, the gardener cuts every branch, doesn't he? He cuts the branches that abide in him. He cuts the branches that don't abide in him. The same knife cuts all of them. Listen, every person experiences the knife, but it's only the branches that abide that will survive. See, suffering comes to everyone. Disappointment and pain and struggle and suffering, these are parts of life. And as you begin to face it, the question is, will it kill you? Or will it make you more fully alive? And if you're trying to do it in your own strength, if you're trying to just be strong enough and stand on your own two feet and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just be strong, the knife will destroy you because you're not connected to the source. But if you're in the vine and if you're trusting in him and if you're depending on him, God will use even your suffering to make you bear fruit. And even when it feels like he is killing you, he will be making you more fully alive than you've ever been before. Jesus says, I am absolutely committed to your joy. I am absolutely committed to your ultimate good. I am absolutely committed to making you into a person who radiates with the glory of God. I am absolutely committed to making you fully alive. And I am with you. No matter what you are walking through, I am with you, united like a vine to branches. And so you can trust me. You can trust me enough to obey me. You can trust me enough to follow me. You can trust me even when the knife is cutting deep. And here's why you can trust him. Here's how you know that you can trust him. Because even though we all experience that knife in some ways in our life, Jesus experienced the knife of God for you. Jesus was pierced in your place and mine. Our sin had cut us off from God. Our sin had cut us off from life. But Jesus was cut off from his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off from his Father so that we could be brought to his Father. He was cut off from life so that we could experience life in him. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death, and he sent his spirit to live within us so that we could experience the fully human life that we've been created for, so that we could know him, so that we could be with him. And friends, I don't know what it is that you're walking through here today. You might be in the good times, you might be in the difficult times, but the truth is Jesus has done what is necessary. He has died and risen again and sent his spirit so that you can have the fully human life that you've been created for. My prayer is that we would experience that, not just on in an intellectual level. We can talk about these things, and they sound very theoretical. My prayer for all of us is that this becomes not just true to us, but it becomes real to us, that it's something that we experience in, our, in the core of our being. One of the ways God does this for us, one of the ways he reminds us of this, is through the Lord's Supper. I don't know if you, thought, if you ever think about the, the Lord's Supper this way, but like, this bread is just ordinary bread. This juice is just ordinary juice. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing magical about it. And yet Jesus says, you will encounter me as you come to this meal in faith. I'm here with you. I'm present with you in this meal. This meal, Jesus says, is a way that we proclaim his death until he comes. In other words, this meal is like a visual sermon. Thankfully, it's a lot shorter than than this sermon. Um, But it's, it's a visual sermon, he says. It's proclaiming the death of Jesus and the life that we have in him. It's speaking to us. It's preaching to us. It's reminding us Jesus loves us. His body is broken for us. His blood was spilled for us. He forgives us. He is with us. So if you believe that, not if you're perfect, Maybe you just feel like you are holding on by a thread. But if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're trusting in his death and resurrection to make you right with God, then we invite you to come and eat the Lord's Supper today. We have stations at the front. We'll have stations out in the gallery in the back. We simply come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, take it, and return to our seats. And maybe you're here and you say, that's not true for me. Maybe there's something that's holding you back. It might be an intellectual objection. Uh, It it might be just a question of, what's it going to mean for me to follow Jesus? And we're we're so thankful that every week we have folks in our gatherings who are asking those questions, who are exploring, who are asking, what's it going to mean for me to follow Jesus? And so if you've got those questions, I would love to speak with you, one of our... uh, Folks at the Connect Center would love to speak with you, but we would love to explore those questions with you. And we just invite you, if this doesn't mean anything to you, just to stay in your seat uh, while others come to take the bread and the cup. No one's going to think any less of you. Um, But don't feel this pressure to do some perfunctory religious thing. Um, But just sit and and, and ask yourself and consider, what do I need to explore to know whether or not I want to follow Jesus? And again, we would love to speak with you after the service if you want to explore that. So let's pray. Let's take the Lord's Supper. Father, we are absolutely dependent on you. You're our creator. You are our sustainer. You're the one who has given us life. You're the one who continues to uphold us. God, I I confess that so often I just try to live life on my own. I try to live life on my own terms. We we turn away from you. We, We seek to find life in other things. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you for your son who came and pursued us and showed us what truly human life looks like. Thank you for his body broken for us. Thank you for his blood shed for us. Thank you that he experienced the knife of God so that we could, so that we could come to you, so that we could be with you, so that we could know you. We thank you for his body and for his blood, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.